Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another podcast. I think I said it exactly the same way. Said it exactly like that? Could you tell? Yes. Welcome to Theofluence. I'm your host, Jake Sambo. This is my guest, Christian Anderson. We're cutting that out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, How are you doing today, Jake? I'm doing good. I'm doing pretty well. So, um, I don't know if anyone really would care, but I feel like we should do a life update really fast. Um, sure. Because how long has it been since we recorded our last episode? Uh, thousands of years at this point. Well, obviously that's not true. <laughs> um, I mean, it's probably been like a month or probably like two months, maybe. Probably about two months. Um, why has it been so long, Jake? It has been so long because you have started um, your practicum. Well, hold on. It's not all my fault. You didn't do it like once for something. I don't even remember why. It's mostly my fault, though. <laughs> right. Yeah. I started like an internship and I've been super busy. So every Sunday, uh, Jake's like, are we going to record? And I'm like, no. Occasionally, so. your wife is like, no. She has to stop you. From That's doing true, it. actually. She was like, what happened that day? Uh, she was like, yeah, um, I know you wanted to do it, but you're not doing it. So we're going home. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. I got what a call from her and was like, why? Oh, that's what right. She, she called you. me for. <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember. I think I was just, I had a lot of stuff to do, mm-hmm. but I was feeling bad because it had been so long. So I was like, we'll just do it anyway. And then she said no for me. It's fine. So, um, it's been a little crazy. We're not going to get these podcasts out regularly. No, we're not. That's no, for not. sure. Um, but, but it's going well, and we're here today to talk about a completely switched topic. I don't know if we referred to it last time when we talked about um, the end times, um, but we're going to be talking about Esther. Yes, we are. So, Jake, before we get into this... Um, why are we talking about Esther? What brought us here? We are talking about Esther because of what actually, it was the first thing we wanted to talk about for this podcast when we first started planning it, um, years and years ago, (laughs) literally at least a year ago now. Um, we were at a Bible study. Um, we were talking about the book of Esther and I mentioned my belief that it is not an entirely historical book, and this raised some eyebrows. (laughs) Um, And after talking about it, we, Christian, uh, approached me afterwards and was saying, hey, we should do a podcast about this. We can argue about these kind of things for profit. I mean, yeah. Well, are we going to put ads on these? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) We're not. Anyway, so, um, yeah, no, that's basically what happened. I think I had been thinking about doing podcasts for a while because there's been multiple times where you and I have disagreed on something. That's true. And I'm like, it'd be so interesting because we've talked, we've like stayed after youth group for hours sometimes and mm-hmm. sometimes it's so late and my wife gets mad at me because <laughs> she thinks I'm being murdered, but yeah. whatever. So we've just stayed out and talked about such crazy things. And then I, it was just after that Bible study, I was like, well, why don't we talk into a set of mics and yeah a year later like it honestly it's taken so long where i'm looking i was showing jake earlier today back on my note because i took a note of uh what i'm going to talk about for esther and my notes from july 31st 2020 (laughs) (laughs) and it's uh june of 21 so definitely been longer than i thought and i was just saying that's like why our friends don't care anymore (laughs) Yeah. They were like, oh, dude, that's so cool. You're starting a podcast. I want to listen. And I was like, cool. Um, And now no one asks us anymore. I don't know if I would care either. (laughs) It's been so long. It's been a while. Um, But we'll start start pushing these out, and we'll show them. We'll show them all. (laughs) So I don't know if it... We really talked much about it the last two episodes, which now I'm questioning why we started with it. But, like, we were pretty much in agreement, I think, for end time stuff, which surprised me. More or less, I think. Well, I mean, I'm post-mill and you're pre-mill. That's true. That's true. Man, yeah, we could talk about that more if you want, because I could, I could show you some good stuff. We probably could. About why, you know, you're wrong. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Yeah, you know what? The Lord will come 
at some point. Mm-hmm. And when he, when that happens and what the order of events are, you know what? You just won't. You'll be confused, and I won't. <laughs> so it'll be good stuff. Or maybe we'll just already be in heaven. Maybe maybe I'll be right. You know, there's. Pe- <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> you know, there's people that are like in our church that are like, Jesus is going to come before our lifetimes are over. Yeah. I don't... I don't know about that. I don't know about that one. I mean, maybe. I don't know. But all I know is the Bible says no one knows, so I'm going to go off of that. I'm not going to say one way or another. It could be yeah. could be before we're done recording. I'd prefer... Whoa. Or it could be after we die. I would prefer after I die. Yeah, same. Um, well, you know what? Actually, let me take that back. Um, it depends on your view of it. Because if you take my perspective, I'm good any, any day. Because he's just going to, and then I'm going to, and then it's going to be done. I'll be in heaven. We'll be chilling. Uh, but if we take, well, what was your perspective again? If we take my perspective, which is the post-mill perspective. Oh, then the world's going to get better and better and better and better. Yeah, so we have like a couple hundred years at least. A couple thousand years. A couple thousand I do not see the world getting better and better. <laughs> I see it getting better. I see it getting worse before it gets better, but I see it getting better. Yeah. Well, you know, here's to hoping, right? Here's to hoping. So uh, we can talk about that more later, but mm-hmm. today we're talking about Esther. Esther. Story of Esther. So uh, quick overview of Esther. Do you, you, wanna, you want me to do that? Sure. I can do that. Uh, <laughs> now I'm trying to remember. Um, Esther was a, a Jewish girl, the niece of Mordecai? Or cousin. Or cousin. It's, it's pretty vague. Niece or cousin, which, depending on your culture, those mean different things, too. Yeah. Like Casey, well, anyway. <laughs> like, to Casey, what I would call my second cousin, she calls, like, her first cousin, or, well, like... that's weird. What I would call my, what is it, my... Yeah, my second cousin, she'd call, like, her, her niece. So. Huh. It's because I'm white and she's Mexican. That's how it goes. Everyone's just first. I didn't know that's how they did it in Mexico. They've decided. That's how they decided. There's policies, yeah. That's how the place. policy is. That's how the law is Dude, in Mexico. I don't know. All I know <laughs> is that's how they get away with people saying Mexican families are so big. Because, like, white people families are probably usually about the same size. It's just we don't count, like, our second, third, and fourth cousins. But they're all just, like, one family to them. I mean, I guess that's how we do it, too, in my family. We yeah. have – I have a ton of cousins. I don't call them my second or third cousins, even though that's what they are. Yeah, but, like, but would you them... say, like, I have a really big family? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever, dude. I don't know. So Esther was the cousin or niece of Mordecai, who was, like, a some sort of official – in Persia, when Persia was in control of everything. And then Mr. Xerxes, or his name in the book was... Um, Ahasuerus. 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 I don't know. I don't know why he called them that. I think it's a language thing. But it was Xerxes is the common consensus. I guess if you take my perspective, it we is. can get there. We'll get into that. That Ahasuerus guy was king... He didn't like his wife, so he, and then uh, he chose, like, a bunch of other girls. He ended up choosing Esther, and then there was some plot by this other bad dude who wanted to kill all the Jews uh, because Mordecai was a jerk, and (laughs) Esther was like, no, save them, and then she killed the bad guy and saved the Jewish people, and the whole book is an explanation for the festival of Purim, Yes, the Jewish festival. And uh, that's the story they tell every year during Purim, and it's a pretty big deal. So Esther is sort of like the explanation for that festival. Jewish, like, history is, they have all these different festivals and events and stuff throughout the year, different dates, and there's explanations for all of them, and they're usually celebrating certain events, just like, you know, any holiday. But they just got their own, so. Yeah. Is that a fair enough summary? I think so. I think you could have gone into a little more detail, but I think <laughs> we're going to go into so much. We'll other go stuff. into a lot of detail, um, um, but I think that's pretty good. That's a good overview. So like my understanding, which people probably picked up on already, is Esther was a real person, took place in a real place with real people. And there were real events that really happened in history. <sighs> so, um, Jake, what is your perspective on Esther? 
Like I already mentioned, I think Esther is a fictional story um, invented to explain um, the origin of Purim. Um, I don't think it was a real historical event. And I have quite a few reasons why. <laughs> so um, I think to start us today, I just have a couple starter questions. Sure. Uh, well, they're statements, actually, so sorry. <laughs> um, first... This is what I, I wrote down. I said, for Jake to show that Esther, for Jake to show his point, basically, um, I said, you have to give a reasonable alternative to Purim. So it, can, it couldn't have come out of nothing. There has to be something there. Now, I'm not saying you have to know exactly what it is, but there's got to be something. Otherwise, Esther is the most reasonable alternative, if that makes sense. We've got to take the most, uh, the most reasonable one to explain the event. Um, I don't is that have... a fair place to start? <clears throat> I don't have anything exactly for where Purim might have come from. I was reading the theory. One point for me. <laughs> One theory that I read is that um, that Purim was a borrowed festival from the um, from Mesopotamia, specifically because um, the names Mordecai and Ishtar sound a lot like Marduk and or Mordecai and Esther. Sorry, sound a lot like Marduk and Ishtar who were the national god of the Babylonians and one of the most important gods of the Sumerians. Thought you'd bring that up. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not sure I subscribe. I'm not sure I subscribe to that belief, but that is one belief that I saw. Um, another thing actually about that is the justification for why Purim exists. Um, I feel like it's kind of, well, I think... I don't think it necessarily needs to have come from any one event. I think sometimes festivals like this just happen. They just, like, it's a tradition that starts, just catches on, more and more people start doing it, and then people want an explanation for it. And then that's why the Book of Esther is written. Um, I feel like that seems possible in the brain, but do we have any examples of that actually happening? Like, everything I can think of is some event that we're celebrating mm -hmm. on a holiday or something. And I think the Jews are the same way. Although, I mean, I'm not a Jew. I don't know their culture that well, and I won't claim to. But all that I do know of their festivals is that they are all celebrating a particular event. They all say they're celebrating a particular event. Right. But without an alternative, we're kind of stuck, if that makes sense. I think, I think given the evidence that... Um, goes against the Book of Esther, I think it's reasonable to say that Purim um, was an invented festival or had some other origin. Okay. Um, well, I guess we'll have to get into some of that. I have a couple other starters, though, before we get into the okay. main stuff. Okay. Okay. Um, and this is just, I don't think we've talked about this on a podcast, so I'll bring it up real quick before we start. Mm -hmm. I've talked about it to you, but um, the idea of kind of the way that we want to balance this is we're going to be casting the the what's the burden of evidence back and forth yeah. to each other um so i am starting by casting it on you <laughs> um and this is why so that was the first one that there has to be a reasonable alternative to perm secondly um you have to show why the book makes more sense as a story than as history because traditionally um people take he esther as real historical event Mm -hmm. um, so if you're going to go against the tradition, you have to find a way to cast the burden of evidence on them. And that is to say it makes more sense as a story, a made up story than a history. And then the third thing is, um, there has to be a reasonable, uh, biblical alternative interpretation of the book as well. Cause if the book is not to explain Purim, then there has to be some other reason it was written. But <clears throat> those are kind of my three things to just get us started off. And then um, I'm going to give it over to you to see what you have to say about that. <laughs> okay. So one of yours was that it makes more sense as a, st as a story than as a history, right? Right. Um, I think there was actually, I read a paper about this. Um, I wish I could remember the name of the author. Um, but she was talking about how um, the Book of Esther... One of the defenses for why the Book of Esther is historical is because of all the mentioned Persian, um, all the things mentioned from Persia, all the cultural things like um, costume, wealth, um, the wealth and luxury of the king, um, the heavy eating and drinking, goblets of glass and gold. The thing is, 
if you go um, if you go west to Greece, you start reading like plays and stories by them about the Persians. They're about the exact same things. Um, it isn't so much these having those kind of motifs in the Book of Esther doesn't point to it being a history so much as being. I think it points to it being a story. It's kind of like if I wrote a story about France and had a bunch of like cafes and philosophy and cigarettes in it. Like that's not me knowing, that's not me being French or like knowing a lot about France. That's me knowing stereotypes about France. Um, and so having those kind of elements in the book of Esther kind of implies that it's a story. And also two other things I'm going to say. Narratively, it's similar a lot to the book of Tobit and the book of Judith, which if you're not familiar with those, those are um, apocryphal books. They're books of the Catholic and Orthodox Bibles, but not most Protestant Bibles. Um, they are stories um, about, they're very similar in narrative, I would say. They're about um, Jews overcoming adversity. Um, Tobit, I can't remember exactly, I can't remember exactly what Tobit was about. I don't either. Judith, I remember specifically, was about overcoming a Babylonian or an Assyrian, sorry, an Assyrian general who was trying to destroy, destroy the Jews. Um, they're about pretty similar things. They, if you read the three of them together, they're very similar to read. Um, my response back to that would be, I don't think it indicates its story as much as it's like the difference between historical nonfiction and real history. Historical nonfiction is, wait, did I say historical fiction? Sorry. Okay. Historical fiction. It's like, wait. Um, historical fiction sounds real. It's based on real events. Mm -hmm. And it's written as if it could have been real. Yeah. But it's not real. Yeah. It's made up. History is the same exact sounding stuff, but it's real. To me, what you're describing is it's not evidence for or against it being history. It's just this could have been real. It could have been true of the culture, and it could be them just making up a story using the culture um, to, to tell something, or it could have been real events. I don't really see it being heavier weighing either way. It's just the way that they use the language yeah. and the culture. I think it's weak evidence on its own, but combined with everything else, I think it's pretty good evidence to yeah. imply it being a story. Maybe. Um, but we'll get to the rest of the evidence. Maybe. What was your third point then? Uh, I also mentioned um, there has to be a biblical interpretation of the book other than the historical interpretation. I would say, I would say the biblical interpretation of the book would be the, um, the triumph of God over anyone like attacking his people. Um, pretty basic. I think like, yeah, it's all about um, actually, I just remembered my third point. My <laughs> um, <clears throat> third point to your second point, real quick. A lot of the elements, um, a lot of the elements within Esther imply, are like very story-like, I would say. They're very oh, yeah. grandiose. Very, I totally agree. Yeah, stuff like, the biggest one for me is that Haman is a... Haman is an Agagite, one of the first enemies of Israel. And Mordecai is a descendant of Saul, who was the one who first defeated Agag. Um, things like that. The, like, all the numbers in the book are kind of absurd. Like, um, they, the people in um, Ahasuerus's harem had to be, like, patted down with perfume for 12 months. Um, Haman was going to pay... Haman was going to pay 10,000 silver talents um, for, to do the decree to kill all the Jews, which is an absurd number. It's kind of like if, some, um, if someone in the American government said they would pay a billion dollars just to, do, to do, some, do something like that, um, which I guess makes it sound less absurd when I put it like that. Because <laughs> it certainly has happened. We're, we're, getting, we're getting there. Um, anyway... <laughs> Things like the gallows are 83 feet high that Haman build. Um, when the edict that allows, that's sent out after, after they say the Jew, to kill all the Jews, that says the Jews can kill the people trying to kill them, which is a, itself is kind of a weird, 
thing for the king to do. Um, 75,000 people die. Um, just, it's very much written like a, um, like a story, I would say. Um, so that's my third point to your second point. Yeah. Biblical interpretation of this. Yeah, I don't really have much, I don't really have much to say about it other than God triumphs over anyone going after him. I just, I mean, that's what I would say is a, if you're taking it historically, the interpretation in that case is pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, but I guess maybe if the interpretation to you is the same, which I really think you could take it a different direction if you're not historical, but you're not, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> what other direction do you think you could go? Well, I don't know. I just think you could. Yeah, you can maybe. take it any sort of direction when you're not going historical with it. Um, you could talk about revenge. But anyway, um, <laughs> like the application is going to be different because um, the overarching interpretation is, is the same between you and me. But um, when it comes to the story itself and the little nuances and the small things um, and how they can apply to us, I would say that's pretty different. Um, as far as the way story is written, yeah, no, you're totally right. But like, obviously we'll get into this more with other stuff too. Um, just because it was written in a, uh, what's the word, dramatized way, doesn't mean it wasn't real events. I would, I would argue some, of the, some other books in the Old Testament are similar um, in that they are written in a certain way to display certain things, but that doesn't mean it's not a real event. Think back to um, the, um, gosh, what are they? The epistles in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So obviously those are written more as instructional like as letters to people. Yeah. Um, we don't really talk about whether or not those are historical. They're just <laughs> they're letters, um, like from you to me type of thing. Mm -hmm. But the way that it was written was dependent upon who was reading it and how they would receive it. I would say that the, the purpose of Esther was, the, when it was written, was to celebrate Purim and to celebrate the events. Uh, when it was first being told, it was all word of mouth. The, the, the book of Esther wasn't a book at first. It was just a story mm -hmm. that was told word of mouth. So naturally, it's going to be, um, I, I can't think of a better word other than like embellished. It's going to have those, the way that it's written is going to be poetic. It's going to have that massive triumph on the climax of the story and everything. I just don't think that that means that it wasn't true events, though. Um, if a story is being passed down word of mouth, it can be a real story, but it's going to have those um, pieces that make it sound more than. As far as those numbers, I have one thing that I thought was super interesting. What's that? Um, so you mentioned 75,000 people dying. That's absurd. It's insane. It's, that's so many people. And I, looked, I was looking up. Okay, so um, if you believe that Esther is a true story, you have to believe that Ahasuerus was Xerxes. There's no alternative. Just for the dates and stuff, he had to have been Xerxes. The other king, it just doesn't line up. Mm -hmm. um, so um, people would say Xerxes wouldn't allow for the death of 75,000 of his people. Um, what, I, what I found out, Darius, another king, um, abandoned, abandoned 80,000 soldiers in one day, according to uh, Herodotus and Tisius, just other historians. Hmm. Um, and that's just extra biblical, and that's just another king. It's not Xerxes, but it's just the idea that, like, I don't think those numbers are absurd. Um, in total, according to Herodotus and Tisius, um, across multiple different events, 800,000 people were abandoned and essentially left to die um, for different things. Obviously, it wasn't all at once, but I don't think that 75,000 is truly that absurd looking at the rest of the numbers in other historical categories. I feel like you said 800,000 in total. In total? Okay. 80,000 in one day. I feel like it's a little bit different in that it's from the king deciding to do this to abandon these soldiers versus the king allowing the Jews to murder his people. Um, that's, I feel like it's a little bit different, but I get, I get your point. I understand yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. No, that's probably a good point. It is a little bit different. Um, and I don't know much about, 
You know, you know what I know about like old time kings and stuff is like from movies. So, <laughs> like, I don't know that much, you know. But I do know that like the the price of a life was not very high back in the day. You know, if you were royalty yeah. and you're talking about the lives of like soldiers or like random lay people, um, it's not as valuable as we see life to be today. People just like, oh yeah, whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Solomon was like, cut the baby in half, <laughs> and we'll decide who <laughs> we'll see whose mom it is. Um, obviously, he wasn't really going to, but, you know, they thought he would because yeah. the value of that life wasn't that much to him. So, anyway, that's a different story. That but um, that's my response to those crazy numbers. Um, I, think, I think they're not as absurd as you make them out to be. But according to today's standards, they are absolutely absurd. They're pretty <laughs> wild. Um, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. So that's... That's your points. That's my rebuttal to your points, and your rebuttal to my rebuttal, and so on. Precisely. You've got um, it. Do you have a, another point that you wanted to bring up to, to push it on me, or do you want me to bring up something of mine? I have, I have a few. I'm just going to talk, right now I'll talk about the historical inaccuracies in the book. Okay. Um, just, I feel like, I hate to be nitpicky, but I kind of feel like you have to be when you're talking about the historicity of something. Um, so the biggest thing is that there is... So we can say pretty certainly that Ahasuerus was Xerxes. Like, some people say it's Artaxerxes, who was the son of Xerxes. Um, that was the pre... That was actually the common view before Jesus' time. Um, but these days, most people will say it's Xerxes. Um, we have no historical equivalent to Haman, Mordecai, or Esther. Um, um, traditionally, traditionally, it was said that Esther was a mistress who was the wife of Xerxes because the queen of Xerxes was probably Esther if the book of Esther is real, right? Um, which, unless, unless Esther started sacrificing children later on in her life, she probably wasn't a mistress. Also, we know that a mistress was the daughter of a Persian general, not a Jew. Um, so we have no historical equivalent for Esther. There might be, there was mention of someone named Marduk in Xerxes' court, so that might be Mordecai. But like I already said, Marduk was a, Marduk was the national god of the Babylonians. There were probably a lot of people named Marduk. Um, so it could have been Mordecai, it might not have been. We have no historical, we don't even like have a start that I know of to find Haman, um, even though he was like this, he was the right-hand man of the king. You would think he would be mentioned in like Xerxes' court, but there is no mention of Haman or an Agagite that I could find. Um, so that's the biggest, that's one of the biggest historical inaccuracies. Do you have any comments on that? Um, I don't have anything on Haman. Because you're right, I haven't I haven't been able to find anything on him either. Um, as far as the other two, um, we know from Esther. If you read Esther, Mordecai is an official of some sort. Yes, I mean he lived in like the court or something like that. So he was some high up guy. Um, I don't think it, it. It's kind of both and in what you were saying that if there was a lot of Mardukes out there, it's like how do you know if it's him? But you can't prove it wasn't him either. Yeah. There was a Marduk in the court, and that if the story is real, then it makes sense that that would be the same guy yeah. as Mordecai. As far as Esther goes, that's complicated. <laughs> it is a little complicated. <laughs> um, here's what, what I found. Um, the people who wrote about Amestris, um, primarily Herodotus and his informants, uh, which is probably where you got your stuff from, too. Yeah, that was a direct quote from Herodotus about so, the sacrificing children thing. From what I read, and I, I can't substantiate this because I, I didn't write down why, and I, as we mentioned earlier, I did this research in July of 2020. So <laughs> um, I can't substantiate this, but this is what I read, whatever I was reading. Um, Herodotus's informant, so Herodotus wasn't there, but his informant who told him about the stuff, had a vested interest in not liking Esther or Amestris, um, and had a vested interest in portraying her poorly. And most likely, even if it wasn't true, would have portrayed uh, Amestris very poorly. Um, Esther was known as a very strong woman in the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say historically, it would be the same. I mean, she, 
if you read the, the story of Esther, she went from like someone who was basically not nobody to the queen, and she approached the king on multiple occasions knowing that she could have had her head cut off for doing it. Um, like she was a brave person in the book of Esther, at least. And uh, if someone had a vested interest in portraying her very poorly, they could easily do so. It's the queen. You get anyone with a high status, you can portray poorly and people will believe you. Um, so I would say if, if the only person that the information of her doing those terrible things is from Herodotus, we should probably strike that from the record. If there's more, I don't know, because I haven't looked into it. <laughs> so, okay. Suppose I got nothing on Haman, though. Suppose we do strike it from the record. Um, what about the understanding that Amestris is the daughter of a Persian general? Oh, um, I don't have anything for that. <laughs> you got me on that one. I didn't read that anywhere. No? Uh, no, I didn't. So, um, it's... Yeah. I, c- I would... Yeah, I just, uh, I'm not doing research right now. I'm just going off of the notes I made, and I hadn't seen that, which surprises me. So p- the, I guess my response to that would be, knowing that I am not the authority here, um, I would like to look into it and see how, if that's just a understanding, or if that also came from Herodotus, or what that came from, how do we know that? We'll go from there. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. You got me. <laughs> All right. I have a few more. <clears throat> I have a few more historical um, kind of inaccuracies to go through just real quick. Um, yeah. The claim was that it's mentioned that the Persian Empire had 127 provinces. It's thought that there were no more than 20 or 27, depending on your source, um, which I'll grant that might have been like a miss, like a like an error as it was copied over time. It might have turned into 127, um, but that's just one inaccuracy. Um, there's the claim that women had to be veiled and could not like really show themselves before men. That is not corroborated by, Greek, um, by Greeks who were in Persia at the time. Um, women, I mean, they weren't exactly free, but they were able to do that kind of thing before men. Um, You're saying there's a claim in the Book of Esther that women had to be veiled? I think so. Source check. <laughs> I mean, I don't uh, see... I mean, you I got... What's her name? Va- Vashti, who the king's like, come dance before all the men. I mean, it might be different because she was queen, but I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That's what, that's what one of the papers I read said. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which verse. It might be in verse. there somewhere. Yeah, I can't remember which I verse remember they said. I don't remember either. Anyway, um, they mention... It's never mentioned in any report of the court life in Persia that it was punishable... Punishable, <laughs> punishable, punishable by death to approach the king without permission. That's never mentioned in any record of court life in Persia, um, which that's a pretty big thing to leave out. Um, and there's the idea that law can't be changed after it's, after it's been like decreed, um, which it's not said that it's never been found that it was changed, but it's never been said that it couldn't be. It's kind of weird to say that it couldn't be. Um, The queen, this is actually a pretty big one. The queen could only be selected at the time um, from the seven noblest Persian families. They couldn't just select the queen from anyone. Um, So the the king could select a harem from any woman that he wanted, but the queen specifically had to be from one of those families. That's why Amestris was the daughter of one of those Persian generals. Um, And... Haman and Mordecai were foreigners, Agagite and Jew. They probably weren't going to be selected to be high in the court, um, but that's a probably. They still could have been. Um, um, and also decrees, it's mentioned decree, the decree went out in everyone's language. That's not how they did it. It went out exclusively in Ara- Aramaic. Um, Interesting. Those were the biggest historical inaccuracies I could find. There was others listed, but they were... I don't know. They were kind of weak, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but those, are the, those were the strongest ones I could see. <laughs> Here's my answer in one sentence. What's that? The Persian archives were destroyed with fire, and our main historian of the time was Herodotus, who didn't even observe the events. So our understanding of the law, the policies, and everything that goes on, um, there isn't much. 
So I would say, like, there isn't mention, for example, there isn't mention of the law not being able to be changed. There isn't mention in what? The archives were destroyed. So we only have information from second or third party sources who weren't there at the time. And I'm not saying, you know, whoever, quote unquote, wrote Esther, those people weren't there either. Mm -hmm. um, so that's true. I'm just saying, if, there, if there's things that don't seem to line up with what we understand of the Persian culture, where is our understanding of that Persian culture coming from? And is it that Persian culture? Because Persia was large and huge. And Persian culture is like saying, <laughs> I mean, you could say Spanish culture. And it's like, well, what Spanish culture? You know, there's so, there's so much variety. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my catch-all answer to like three quarters of the things that you just said. Um, that's my understanding. I don't know where those, I mean, you know, those sources could have been legit, but I'm just saying my understanding is that what we know of that culture was pretty much destroyed when the empire was destroyed. Um, that's basically my answer to that, though. Do you have anything for that before I move on to something else? I guess most of, I would say most of that's fair. But the one thing I would say is Herodotus, um, He's one of the big sources that I saw as evidence that Esther even happened at all. Like, um, he was cited a lot by people who were saying Esther was real. Um, I just feel like if we have to include, if we're using, if we're using Herodotus, if we're using Herodotus at all, we should take either all of it or none of it. So, um, if we take all of it, that means we take the stuff that contradicts it, um, all the stuff Herodotus said about the queen can only be from noble families. Um, it wasn't punishable. Pun I can't say that word. It wasn't <laughs> punishable by death to approach the king. Or if we throw that out, we have to throw out all the evidence that Herodotus did say that kind of leans toward Esther being real. That's all I would say. I have two responses to that. First, um, is his, this isn't first. This is just... Herodotus or Herodotus? Because I've been, if I've, I may have been saying that wrong the whole time. <laughs> Let's find out. Hold on. I don't want to keep saying it wrong. I don't care anymore. Um, Herodotus. I was Herodotus. right. Dang it. It just doesn't or sound natural to me. Herodotus. Yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, first thing that I would say in response to that, Herodotus, I guess. Um, if his, in, if his, if you had a vested interest in portraying Amestris or Esther badly, then the things that we should throw out of his record are things that talk about Esther, not necessarily other things. So I think you can pick and choose depending on his, the context of his writing. The second thing I would say is I don't know if I have cited any of Herodotus's, Herodotus's evidence <laughs> in here so far. So I am not picking and choosing, really. No. Have I mean, you... I might be, but I don't think I've cited anything from him so far, unless I've forgotten, <laughs> which <laughs> is possible. When I was looking up, because I tried to read some essays about why it was real, mm -hmm. um, and they all cited Herodotus to some extent. So that's why yeah. I say that. A lot of people cite him because he's like the main writer. Yeah. Um, it's just, I, I'm with you in that. If the main writer had flaws in his writing, how much can you trust? But if that's all you can go off of, I don't know. I, I really do think there are ways that you can pick and choose, but it depends on how well you know Herod Herodotus and how well you know how he got his information, too, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I'm with you, though. It's, uh, it's hard with, with that. Do you trust it or not? Yeah. Yeah. A um, couple things I wanted to bring up. Okay. I don't have much more because most of my points were just counter to your points. <laughs> but I had a couple things that were not brought up yet. Just, just a couple more, and then we should probably wrap up. I have a few more points, too, after um, yours. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, one thing. Amestris probably got married in 489 BC, which is the same year that Esther is cited as being getting married. Um, you, can, you can source check me on that because I don't have a source on here, so you could try looking it up. But that's what I wrote down. Um, in response to something else you said as far as being of rank to marry the king um, if it's true that Mar Marduk or Morduk whatever 
was Mordecai and he did have a rank, then he prob- Esther probably would have been someone who could have been selected by the king to be married to, um, even though he was not a Persian. And then uh, the last thing was, uh, starting from Xerxes, there was a benevolent policy in the Persian Empire toward Jews. You can also sort of check me on that because I don't have it, but somewhere I read that there was a benevolent policy toward Jews in the Persian Empire, which would for sure follow if the story of Esther is true, that following Xerxes, there would have been a benevolent policy in the Persian Empire toward Jews. It's kind of all I got, though, so... I think um, I think the benevolent policy towards Jews was actually a policy throughout the Achaemenid Empire's um, history, which that's that's what the Persian Empire was. It was the Achaemenid Empire. Right. Um, I think that was the policy. Yeah, I think that was the policy. The first king of the Achaemenid Empire, who was Cyrus the Great, um, I think he. He instituted that. He was very friendly towards um, basically every every ethnicity, every religion. There wasn't really any discrimination based on that within the Achaemenid Empire. So I think the policy of being friendly towards Jews began with him and probably kept going with him. Began with who? With Cyrus and probably, I'm guessing, was still around when Xerxes became king. Oh. I have Cyrus as well, but he's Xerxes' grandson. Grandson? Maybe there was multiple Cyruses. But if you look at... uh, So, assuming that the um, story of Esther is real, assuming, um, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Bible comes shortly thereafter because the Jews are released to go back to their homeland and they rebuild the city and everything. Um, the king that sent Ezra and Nehemiah to go basically oversee all the Jews over there was Cyrus. So, and that must have happened after. It's, so, I'm seeing maybe there's multiple Cyruses. I'm seeing, or maybe we've got to talk about the Book of Ezra, which I didn't expect. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to bring up Ezra just off, um, offhand, but Cyrus, Darius, Xerxes. I don't know. Yeah, see, um, Xerxes was king from, he was king from 486 to 465 BC, and Cyrus was king from 550 to 530 BC. So Cyrus was his grandfather, not grandson. Oh. This is Cyrus the Great, specifically. Oh, okay, I see. You know what? You're right. I was actually wrong. I read it wrong. I see. On my phone. I was going to be confused. It says his grandson... Xerxes, but I read it backwards. So, oh. my bad. You're good. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what I was saying. Anymore. I don't either. Um, well, yeah, I don't remember. So I'm going to talk about something else. Um, my main. Oh, okay. Hmm? What were you going to say? Something. Um, oh, it's. It looks like um, it was just Google being stupid, but oh. it looks like Xerxes may have been the king during Ezra. Yeah. So that's all I was going to say. Go on. So another thing that I'm going to mention is that there are some internal inconsistencies within Esther. Um, There's not a lot just because it's not a super long book. But the two big ones are that um, they try to hide that Esther's a Jew until the very end. Um, But Mordecai is known to be a Jew and also her uncle. But no one knew that she was a Jew. Um, I'm not sure how that would work. You got me there. <laughs> uh, other thing, Xerxes, he issued, he knew that he was issuing the destruction of the Jews, but then he heaps praise on Mordecai, who was known to be a Jew. Um, what? Like, he, after he issues the edict to, dis- to kill all Jews, he knowingly... Um, he asks who saved his life and is told it was Mordecai and like heaps praise on him, even though he already knew who Mordecai was and knew he was a Jew. Which well, yeah, but um, I wouldn't count that one. No? Because it was Haman that was trying to... Get, I mean, Ahasuerus could care less. His feelings toward the Jews, at least in my reading of Esther, was 
ambivalent at best until the end, but it was Haman that wanted to kill the Jews. So I don't think Mordecai being a Jew had anything to do. It, it was the fact that Mordecai saved his life that the king cared about because the king only cared about himself. Yeah, that's fair. Um, the whole Esther thing, though, is a head spinner. <laughs> that was a pretty big point that yeah. I saw. I was very confused after reading it. Yeah. Um, I did see another justification for that one, that Xerxes issued the Jews' destruction, but then, like, praised Mordecai, was if you read, if the Greeks were right, which they probably, they might not have been, because they didn't like the Persians, <laughs> but if the Greeks were right, then Xerxes might have been um, drunk off his head at all times. He might have, he very well could have signed that edict and also heaped praise on Mordecai and known that he was doing both of those and was drunk both times. <laughs> well, that's another explanation, which wouldn't even be surprising. He was king. No, Other people ran his empire for him. That's one justification for it being a real story that I saw that right. I could kind of get. Yeah. Like, a lot of things that don't make sense kind of make more sense if the king is just insane the entire time, basically. Which I would not be surprised by. Yeah. But Esther hiding her identity is interesting. Was she known to be the niece of Mordecai at the time, or was Mordecai just taking care of her? No, she was known. He, was, he visited her, all, like, every day is what it says. Well, um, yeah, but was, was he her caretaker, or was he... I think he was her caretaker. Her uncle. Well, I mean, those was, could be different things. It was known that he was his, that he was her uncle. Okay. Um, I think he was her caretaker too. I'm just yeah. saying. Um, no, but I don't know. It makes it doesn't make sense if it's a history. It does make sense if it's a story, because the dramatic reveal of Esther being a Jew the entire time makes a lot of sense at the end. Yeah, that's true. Good point. I got nothing on that one. I'll hold my <laughs> hand up, my white flag. I don't know. Um, but. Uh, one last thing mm-hmm. is um, I really do think, you know, and you would agree, I'm sure, God can accomplish his will in mysterious ways <laughs> and in super crazy big things. Um, so so uh, um, as a whole, just to take a thousand feet up approach and without getting into more details because we've done that plenty, <laughs> as a whole... I think Esther isn't even a stretch, seeing as what we believe God can do. Um, There are some, and we'll get into these in future episodes, there are definitely some people that are like, well, that doesn't make sense because this is too big or that would have to happen. And it's like, well, God could have made that happen, you know? Um, And I think that's a point that you and I could agree on. Now, how God made it happen or how God did it could be a mystery to me. Um, and to you, and we might never find out, but um, but that is certainly an interesting discussion. <laughs> I felt good going back and forth a little bit on this. Um, how do you feel about things? I feel I feel good. I don't feel I don't think my mind's been changed at all. I mean, either. <laughs> We're great at debating. Uh, <laughs> well, the point of this isn't to change each other's minds, but to simply give people an understanding of like it's not stupid like whatever your belief is you know for a long time i thought man people who think the bible is not history are stupid because of x y and z reasons and i'm sure that there's people on the opposite side saying or thinking the same thing (laughs) and really i just want people to see that like i have my reasons for believing it's history jake has his reasons for believing it's not and you know, when it really comes down to it, they're good reasons on both sides. And I think either interpretation, depending on how you look at it, is reasonable too. You could see it that way, and it's not that much of a stretch, I think. Um, and I, I just hope that people see that. Yeah. Because it's the Bible and understanding it is a lot more complicated than people make it out to be. Yeah. Um, and so I hope that maybe we help some along the way. That being said, I still think I'm right, um, <laughs> and, you know, I still think that there are ways to explain, and neither you nor I are the ultimate authority on any of this stuff. No. It's just we've done some research, and that's what we've come to the table with, so I don't think, based on what we are doing here, I don't think we can 
convinced anyone of anything anyway. Yeah. I can certainly try. I can certainly try. I think, uh, you know, we're going to get into some other episodes later, and I think I'll have more stuff, too. Esther's hard, anyway. Yeah, it is. Esther's hard <coughs> for both of us, man. But um, I don't know. I'm pretty excited for what's coming up next. Do you have any thoughts for what you want to talk about next time? Not really. We can talk about the flood. We can talk about creation. We can talk about Jesus. We can talk about, oh, we can talk about the resurrection. But I mean, I hope I think we don't. We both agree on that stuff. I hope we don't have many disagreements about the resurrection. Just saying, God can do big things, and it's real. It really happened. And if Jesus really rose from the dead, then Esther must be real. I was gonna say, I feel like this is kind of a targeted <laughs> thing at me. What are you talking about? There's a little difference. There's a little bit of a difference there. So anyway, uh, any closing thoughts, Jake? Before we peace out, um, I think. I just think it's important to remember that this isn't super important, like whether or not Esther is, um, whether or not Esther is real or fake, or whether it's real, whether it's a real history or a story. I don't think it's deeply important. I think what matters is what it says about God and what it says about our relationship with God, um, which is that, I mean, God overcomes adversity. I think as long as you take that away from the book of Esther, I think that's all you really need to, that's all you really need from it. Good closing thoughts, Jake. Um, I wholeheartedly disagree with you, but <laughs> you know what? We can't talk about that anymore today, so we'll bring that up next time. We'll talk about interpretation and why it's important next time. Okay. <laughs> and we'll see. We'll have differing views, all right? It's going to be fun. Yeah, I guess. It'll yeah, be fun. I guess. <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you for listening and uh, looking forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.